Retirement is often seen as a destination, but we believe it's an opportunity to pursue your passions, realize your dreams, and live a purposeful life. Great decisions, incredible lives. Retire with Intention podcast is about more than just money. It's about embracing the things that truly matter, the experiences, the relationships, and the impact you leave behind. Here is your host, John Creekmer. Well, everybody, welcome back to Great Decisions, Incredible Lives, Retire with Intention. This is John Creekmer, and uh, every single week, I love to, love to talk to different folks and uh, just learn from everybody, have a great uh, conversation about things that we need to be thinking through, so we're in a better position to live an incredible life. And um, as everybody knows, I so love hearing stories from people and hearing about what their hopes and dreams are, what their goals are. And I've come to realize over the last 35 years that every single person has got things that are so important to them to accomplish. And I've just learned in life that, man, it really is so much easier to make wise decisions if I surround myself with people that have experience, they have knowledge, and they have wisdom to help me make better decisions. And today, I am so happy to have Natalie with us. And Natalie Perry, um, just become acquainted with her and some of her work here recently, and a phenomenal background. And I want to share that with everybody and then have a phenomenal conversation really about all things uh, tax, estate, uh, bringing together decisions. Uh, Natalie, before we get started, would you take some time real quickly to introduce yourself, Natalie, and uh, your background and uh, kind of where you're situated at right now? Sure. Thank you, John. Thanks for having me. I am a practicing attorney in the estate planning field, and I started my career back in the late 80s with Arthur Anderson doing tax planning and tax structuring for clients. But I ended up leaving to go to law school, which I really enjoyed. And now I've been practicing law for about 25 years, a little bit longer than that, but I like to stop at 25. And I really enjoy the practice I'm in. It's great to be able to work with the families and the people. And you really feel like you're making an impact on someone's life at a difficult time when we're dealing with an administration of an estate or even just helping them tie everything together so that when something does happen, they can feel a little bit more prepared and try to minimize some of the stress of that time. Mm-hmm. Natalie, as far as estate planning, uh, when should a person actually start to begin looking through their estate planning? Is it whenever their spouse has passed away? Is that the first time they should look at it? Or is it many years in advance? Well, ideally, we would say many years in advance, because if your spouse passes away, you want to make sure your spouse had an estate plan, depending on your family situation. You know, if if you're married, no kids, everything's maybe joint, depending. And now this is disregarding taxes, of course, but perhaps in that, that situation, your joint assets are going to flow right to your spouse, no issue. But that is really the case. So we really see much more complicated situations, maybe kids from second marriages, you know, assets titled with a beneficiary. There's so many things that can end up not being as simple as people expected. Mm-hmm. So really having a conversation ahead of time, you know, whether it's a year or a few years, you know, obviously we can't plan, but just being on top of that, I think can really give people peace of mind when they dig into some of those questions. Mm-hmm. Now you just mentioned maybe as far as in a second marriage, um, can you identify maybe some of those things that people need to be aware of? And so whether in a second marriage, either from the first spouse having passed away uh, or they walk through a divorce situation, can you walk through some of the pitfalls or maybe things that people maybe don't think about, uh, how that affects their estate planning moving forward? Yes, I think it's important to think about those relationships and how that's going to interact when you do pass away on your kids and your spouse. So just for example, maybe you've got kids that 
don't get along with um, second wife or second husband, depending on the situation. Typically, you might name your spouse as your executor or trustee of your estate plan. But if that's just really going to create a problem because they don't like each other or there's going to be friction or things aren't going to get done, then you might want to rethink that. Maybe a bank makes sense or a, a trusted advisor like an accountant or a, an attorney, you know, somebody a little bit more neutral to really let you be able to get assets transferred and administered without pulling teeth, let's say, you know, that I'd say it's the biggest issue we try to avoid is having this friction or this difficulty in that relationship. And then also who should get what, because maybe you don't, maybe your spouse does need the rest of your money for the rest of his or her lifetime, you know, and that's an important feature, but maybe some of that should be in trust so that when your spouse dies, some of that does go back to those kids from the first marriage. And there, there's a lot of ways to set that up. So that's something you would talk about with your advisor. But I think that's another really important. And those two are really just the tip of the iceberg. You know, who gets what and who's in control. Those are the issues where we see the most problems. You know, it's interesting, Dan. I had a client a couple of years ago and um, the spouse had just passed away. And uh, for both the husband and wife, it was the second marriage um, um, from the spouse, the first spouse of having passed away from uh, cancer for both of them. But they both came in with uh, their own children. And then they had children on their own. And then whenever they, the husband passed away, um, everything was tiled to the wife. And then she passed away. And then all of his money from his first marriage, actually even from his first wife's uh, money from her retirement account, actually was passed on to his second wife's children. And so mm -hmm. it's one of the things where the, their family had never thought about that and how it plays out. And the families ended up working together um, for a good solution, for a good ending. But oftentimes we don't see that. Um, it just kind of flows through, right? The way that it's set up. So, um, right. And you hate to see them fighting or spending a lot of money in legal fees, you know, kind of fighting over who should have gotten what. So it sounds like your situation ended up with a great result, which is good. Yeah, but it doesn't always work that way. That's why you want to make sure that you actually have these discussions ahead of time. And really, whenever we have a, a, a life stage change, which could be anything, um, it could be whenever we retire, a uh, life stage change could be whenever we get married, it could be whenever a spouse passes away. Uh, those are really appropriate times to sit back and say, let's review kind of uh, where we're at. And I was thinking about, I had a client this last week um, that was actually getting ready to head into retirement. Um, he's at the executive level. And so there's some executive compensation there. And he actually was asking, well, when should I, you know, I'm heading to a new life stage. Um, when should I go through revising or revisioning or actually reviewing my estate plan? And so in that situation, life stage change do you think folks that heading into retirement, that would be a good time to review their their estate plans? Yes, I think that is a good time to review their estate plan. Probably for the most significant reason is they have a little more time to devote to it, which is always a challenge with people, you know, working, raising kids or even adult kids, you know. So I think that is a great time to rethink, you know, maybe where are you going to live? Maybe you're going to move to Florida or something like that or take up residency in another state, even if it's part time. You know, that may be something that changes your estate plan. Maybe your assets have grown significantly since the last time you looked at your estate plan, and that would cause you to want to update some things. And then, like you said, maybe your life, like you're closer to one child than the other, or your one child is nearby and they ought to be tasked with some of the administrative items in your estate plan. And maybe you had named somebody else before, you know, so all those things can really drive updates that are always good to review. And we do sometimes get clients to come in who come in and say, oh, I want to update my estate plan. And we look at it and we talk it through and we really don't need to change anything. 
but really keeping on top of those decisions and kind of refreshing your memory about who you named and why, I think is always a good exercise to go through as it really helps keep it fresh. Mm -hmm. Now, Nana, you, you have both a CPA and also your law degree. Um, and so you're an attorney. Do, do you see there's a real benefit in having both of those backgrounds when you're walking through estate planning issues? Yeah, I do. I tend to work with a fair amount of business owners. And that's just partly, I think, because I have the accounting background and kind of the tax planning background. So I, I have a good understanding of financial documents, which, you know, lots of lawyers do as well, some not as much. But in our practice, you really have to know the financial. I also spent some years at JP Morgan. So I learned a fair amount about investing and kind of the type of accounts out there. And that's also been a real benefit. But I think having that background is very helpful to be able to advise clients on kind of all these issues because it is such a big picture type of practice area. You know, it's not just who gets what, it's what are the tax implications. If I leave money to my kids in trust, what are the tax implications of that? You know, what are the income tax implications of having money in a trust? So thinking through all those issues is very important and helpful to clients. You know, I was just thinking, there's a number of folks when they hear the word estate, the phrase estate planning, uh, a lot of times they think, I don't really need to do estate planning because, you know, I'm not a kajillionaire. Uh, I'm not sitting with a huge amount of money. Um, and so can you kind of refresh everyone's memory as far as from an estate tax standpoint? Um, if there's are certain thresholds where um, all of a sudden we have estate tax issues, and then also whenever we're below that threshold, um, is it still beneficial? Or I guess what are the reasons why a person would go through estate planning? Yeah, taxes one, and then I think probate avoidance is sometimes one as well, and then planning for minor children. But let's start back with the tax concept. So you and I are both in Illinois, but here in Illinois, we do have a state estate tax that taxes assets. Once you've hit $4 million of assets, they tax all of your assets. So that is a much lower exemption than the federal exemption, which is currently $13,610,000. And that's per person, so it's really very high. Under the Trump Tax Act from 2017, that amount is set to revert in 2026. And if they don't do anything, it's automatically going to go back to $5 million, but indexed for inflation, which we think might end up at 6 or $7 million per person. So that is a pretty significant change that clients are, are already starting to think about and wonder what they should be doing, if anything. And that's obviously going to affect the clients with a little bit more wealth, you know, where they may be in a position to give some away or do some additional planning there. Hmm. So we've got the estate tax and then we've got the probate avoidance. A lot of people don't like their assets to become public record or have their will filed with the county where they reside. So sometimes we end up doing a trust, which can avoid that and keep some of those things more private. Mm -hmm. Clients also like that. So it sounds like we have a tax a tax reason to consider. We have uh, privacy issues to consider, but then we also have the ultimate dissolution or transference as far as the dollars um, out to the next generation or to charity, as the case may be for a lot of folks. Um, and so, how do we walk through that? And you know, I just know personally, my father passed away a couple of years ago, and um, being the one responsible though then for working through his estate, I feel so blessed that he actually had gone through the estate planning process. And he had documents that were uh, that were very much up to date, and um, and he did a phenomenal job in planning. That made it a lot easier for our family to walk through decisions that we needed to walk through, um, and to do it because he laid things out. So for everybody, I think it's a process to walk through with a lot of benefits. Now you mentioned that we have in 2026, we're reverting back to what the tax law was before the 2017 uh, tax code change. Uh, 
um, as far as that relates to estate planning, also income tax planning. And so two biggies that we're hearing a lot of people talk about uh, coming up. And so we have this window of opportunity, it seems like, over the next year and a half to two years to really start working through just some estate planning and tax plan and income tax planning uh, decisions for folks to make. Um, how far in advance do you think it's wise for a person to start that process, knowing that we kind of have a, we have this window starting to close a little bit? Right. Yeah, I think uh, lawyers and advisors like yourself are going to be quite busy having these conversations over the next year and a half. And the sooner, probably the better that they can at least be thinking about it, even if they don't pull the trigger, let's say, or, you know, actually engage in the planning until next year. I think being aware of the issues, understanding what the options are and what might make sense for your family, whether it is some sort of gift trust or a straight gift to your adult children, if you've got them. I think thinking about that ahead of time is going to be wise. Uh, I, my guess is a lot of estate planners are going to be quite busy next year figuring out solutions for clients mm -hmm. who are in a position to do something. And even people like the banks will have to open up new accounts or get tax ID numbers. So all of that also takes time. Mm -hmm. I know it seems like everybody always wants to, uh, a lot of folks when they go to file their taxes and they always wait till April 15th to go through and think about things. And so we're always, we're a country of procrastinators, I think. I would encourage everyone maybe to spend <laughs> some time thinking about um, the state planning topics um, before they actually get to uh, the end of the year here for next year, as far as in 2025. When we kind of think about um, people, we, we kind of briefly touched on charitable giving. Can you kind of walk through a little bit um, as far as what does charitable giving look like within someone's estate plan? What could it look like? Yeah, it really runs the gamut of types of techniques depending on the client's intention. So you may see on the higher side, you know, somebody starting a private foundation. And those those are not as popular as they used to be with the onset of the donor advised fund. You know, we see a lot of people put money into a donor advised fund, which is just an account at a financial institution or a charitable institution where that money can kind of sit there and then be doled out over time. But private foundation is probably for the client who has a little bit more to give and is able to set up more of an ongoing, really like a business where the entity is put in place for the purpose of making charitable gifts or grants, depending on their intentions for a certain charitable purpose or multiple purposes. And those can be really great for families who want to kind of leave a legacy or get their kids involved in their charitable giving. And then we might see, you know, just straight gifts, gifts to my church, gifts to my um, alma mater, my favorite local charity, whatever that may be, or a bigger national charity, given some of the disasters we've seen happening. And then in between, you know, there's some trusts that allow for gifts to charity over a limited time period, say 10 years. There's trust for charity that can terminate at a person's death, and then the balance goes to children. So there's really a lot of creativity involved in charitable giving, depending on the client's kind of interest and desire, you know, how they want to give it and what the numbers look like. You mentioned the donor advised fund. It's interesting. That's a, I'm going to say the last five to seven years, we have seen so many clients that really are in a lot of different spots from a socioeconomic standpoint, uh, utilize a donor advised fund uh, as one of their charitable giving tools. And um, it's been a phenomenal way for people to actually build up some legacy, even in their family, as they donate some highly appreciated assets in uh, or receive a little bit higher deduction as far as in current year. But then they actually, a couple of them actually set up what they would call family boards. It's not an official board, but where they have a family meeting and they have each child and grandchild um, actually has to present 
um, a charity that's near and dear to them. And they'd say, hey, all grandchildren have $1,000 to give this year. And, um, and then they have to present it, do research or present it. And then um, and then the whole family then votes on what's going to be given to and what's not. And, and so it's kind of been a way to actually start to teach um, legacy topic um, into that next generation instead of just the actual uh, dollar amount. So I, I love that thought and that concept. Yeah, those are really great. I think and much simpler for clients to manage, you know, not so much administration. Yeah, for sure. For sure. We kind of have now um, people are living longer, which is really kind of a great blessing. Sometimes I talk about 90-year-old clients and sometimes they don't view it as a blessing, but that's a whole different story for a different day. But as people are living longer, that means that our family dynamics are actually growing and expanding. And so we're seeing where we have children and then grandchildren and sometimes great-grandchildren. Um, sometimes we have families that are growing as far as with uh, uh, through adoption. And um, how does all of that changing family dynamic um, impact a client's estate planning? Um, are those things that they need to be considering regularly as the dynamic changes, or is it something which they can say, hey, um, it is what it is. Let's kind of do it more in the macro long-term um, and deal with it longer-term. Yeah, I think that's very client-specific, actually, because I think some clients do like the idea of a kind of a dynasty trust, let's say, where they can put some money aside, have it grow over generations. You know, it's exempt from tax, and it can really sit there and accumulate and serve maybe multiple generations or pay for college for these kids and grandkids that they might not even meet or know. But other clients, you know, they feel like, oh, you know, one, I just want my money to go to my child outright. I don't want to trust. That's so complicated. Or, you know, that's only for rich people, kind of like I think you said at the beginning kind of thing. But it really depends. If you're comfortable and we can get a client comfortable with the concept of a trust, there is a lot of impact to be made for future generations. And it doesn't have to be, you know, $20 million. It can be a few million or 5 million. There's no limit, you know, on what is given. So it is a very powerful tool as we are living longer to use a trust in that capacity. And that kind of ties into our earlier conversation about the exemption going down. You know, people may want to start thinking about should they set aside some money in some sort of trust that could go on for generations. Now, Natalie, you did mention that you work with a lot of small business owners, and um, I know the definition of a small business owner kind of changes depending upon where people are at and how their business has grown over the years. It's been incredible to see some folks that I think in the past would be called small business owners, and now I've got a really good-sized business. Um, can you kind of walk through a lot of small business owners that listen from all different backgrounds, different industries? Can you kind of walk through maybe at a high level? Um, what are some, um, I'll say, estate planning uh, maybe hurdles or pitfalls they need to look out for? Uh, but also opportunities maybe that they've not considered? Sure, that's a great question. And there are some additional issues that I always tell my clients to think about when they do have an operating business. I think the first one goes back to that control point that I've made a few times. So if you do have an ongoing business and when you die, you anticipate that business will continue to exist, what should happen to it? Who should be in charge of it? You know, it could be that your spouse is the best person. Perhaps they've been very involved. And they're familiar with your accounts and your customers and kind of how the businesses run. But then there are probably other situations where the spouse isn't the right person. You know, they were raising the kids or they were they had their own profession of some sort. And in that case, you may need to look for another advisor or perhaps an employee or manager at the company who could step in and help with those business decisions once the owner isn't alive to make them. I think that's where we see some plans go awry or some disputes come up when there isn't someone named with the capability and skill 
to make the decisions and we can end up selling the business perhaps perhaps for less than anticipated or kind of an abrupt shutdown if customers decide oh this this isn't the same business you know as it was before Steve died or something i think i'm going to look for another supplier or another um another business to buy from so that is a really big point another thing is a buy sell agreement often can make sense or even some sort of um right a first refusal that's built into either a shareholders agreement or an operating agreement if you've got an LLC. Because if you have partners, you know, what are those partners' expectations and what are yours if something happens to the partner or the investor of your business? You know, should that person have a right to buy out your shares first and then your spouse ends up with the cash? Or And similarly, you know, should you be able to buy that person out if something happens to them in order to have continuity of the business? And there we might want to look at life insurance or some sort of some sort of valuation mechanism. How are we going to value that business? We probably don't want to use book value, but fair market value with an appraisal might not be the right number either. So we have to come to an agreement and really dig into what's going to work for all the parties involved. And those are probably the two biggest things I see, but there can be others with real estate or perhaps there's the business is sitting on some real estate. Is there a lease? You know, should that real estate be separated out? Is it okay for the kids to get that? There's really a lot to think about. So many details to think through. And, uh, and I think that's why is that why you always want to make sure we're with an attorney that has the background and the knowledge to say, Hey, consider these things. I did receive a uh, text message from a good friend of mine uh, this morning before I came in today to talk with you, Natalie. And uh, he goes, Hey, can you ask her her opinion on this? And um, and so I had a number of clients um, that I are obviously dear friends of ours um, that have done extremely well, either owning a small business or um, even as far as in their role, as far as executives of different large companies and financially extremely blessed and have done extremely well. And some of the questions that they're asking is, you know, we have accumulated this large amount of net worth. Um, how much is appropriate to leave to our children and grandchildren um, versus how much is not appropriate to leave? And it always comes back to, that's a personal question. And so it came back to, <laughs> is there is there a professional way to view that? Uh, or if someone's asked that question out or they're thinking through that, is there any counsel you can give to them for things for them to think through? Yeah, we see that a lot. A lot of people who don't want to spoil their kids or don't want their kids to just walk into this money that they didn't earn or they, they didn't kind of sweat for like the business owner might have. So, and again, it, it kind of runs the gamut depending on the client, sort of like you said, you know, some people might fix what the kids get, like a, each person gets $5 million, you know, and that's that's it. The rest goes to charity or some sort of foundation or um, maybe grandchildren or a trust for grandchildren, but we can do a lot with formulas. So clients like that because it can escape tax. So if we fix the dollar amount that goes to the kids, then we can have the rest be a charitable gift that we've structured to be exempt from estate tax. And so for somebody with a large amount of wealth that doesn't want the kids to get every dollar, that can be a great way for charity to benefit, but also for those kids to get a meaningful amount of money. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, if you are over the exemption, the kids aren't going to get that money anyway. It's going to go to taxes. And a lot of people don't like that idea. They don't want the government getting their hard-earned money, depending on your you know, your views and everything. We're not going to get political, but... There are definitely options for structuring gifts to children. You may also want to look at what are they going to get outright? Maybe you have an IRA or a 401k, and those are harder to retain and trust for a longer time period. 
So if they're going to get some sort of, let's say, seed money, you know, from these retirement accounts, maybe the rest of the wealth that they get should be kept in a more restrictive trust that they can access eventually. But what's the right age? Is it even 50? You know, is it 60? Is it when some things happen in their lives where you feel like they might be ready to handle some of that money? You can really be creative in a trust and work with the client to get deep on what they care about, what values they have to try to effectuate some of that, but not in a heavy handed way. Yeah, a lot of different, a lot of different angles, a lot of different ways to go through that. I love the concept mm -hmm. of the formula. Um, I think that does take into consideration the estate tax issues. Um, and also it helps give some really some framework uh, for the family to walk through those decisions. So that, that's an excellent, excellent recommendation. Now, Natalie, you're based in Chicagoland, right? And, uh, yes. And so we have listeners from all around the country that listen to us. And so I know a lot of folks um, have been really kind of pondering, what do we do for estate planning? And so we'll have, have all your contact info in the show notes. If people want to talk with you, they can find you. Um, but let's say somebody is searching, maybe they're from LA or they're from Texas or Florida, wherever they may be, and they're looking to work with a, a, an estate planning attorney. Is there certain questions, or I guess the question would be, how do people decide or figure out who to work with and decide, is this is a person I, could, I actually enjoy working with? Yeah, I, obviously you want to look a little bit at the credentials and ideally work with a specialist, you know, not somebody who does, and it depends on your market. You might not be able to find somebody who does estate planning day in and day out, but those are really the people they are going to have the deep expertise that I have kind of, that's all we're doing, you know, every day talking to clients about who gets what, what are the tax implications? What's the family issues? So you can look you look at the person's background for sure. There's also a group called ACTEC, which is the American College of Trust and Estate Council. And their website is www.actec.org. And that is a group, and I'm in it. It's peer-nominated estate planning attorneys all over the United States. And people are recommended by their colleagues in their local market. So generally, you're going to have a pretty good knowledge or expertise with the people that have been nominated for ACTEC. So that might be one place to look if you're in a region where you just don't have a local contact who can help you. You could look on their website and search by your state. Yeah, great, great resources to look at as far as trying to find somebody. Um, you know, Natalie, we've been, we covered a lot of information here in the last 30 minutes. Um, is there anything we've not covered that you really think that listeners should be aware of as we're talking about their, their tax and estate planning? Well, I, I think the one misconception, we, we didn't really talk about that, but the misconception that a lot of people have is they don't need an estate plan either because you said they don't have enough money or, you know, everything will go to my wife and then my kids. But a lot of times that's not the case under state law. If you're married and with two children, even if they're minors, state law often says that the assets go half to the spouse and half to the kids. So that could create some real complications for people who just may not have awareness so you could get a very simple will online or with a lawyer, you know, a lawyer's always better in my opinion, and avoid that issue. And people I think don't always realize that that's how things work. And when we go back to that second marriage scenario, you know, that could definitely be a concern or you've got kids from multiple marriages. So just having an even basic estate plan is more important than I think people think. And I'm not saying that's so everyone will hire a lawyer, you know, it's, it can just be so much easier and less expensive to have the planning done up front. And I think mm -hmm. people don't always realize that. Yeah. Yeah. That's great counsel. I mean, so many folks, they don't, they don't realize, uh, but their own state that if you don't have a will and don't have a trust in place, what happens? They have an assumption 
but a lot of times are right. correct, right? And so um, that's a great counsel. So um, Natalie, thank you so much for spending time with us today. Uh, unbelievable information. Everybody, if you have questions uh, on estate planning, if you have questions on how to structure things, um, looking for someone to work with, uh, definitely check out all of Natalie's contact information there in the show notes. And, um, and everybody, we really look forward to seeing you guys again here next week on Great Decisions, Incredible Lives. And remember, folks, live a life with intention. That's truly where you find that joy. It's where you see impact. And it's truly where you see happiness when things uh, really kind of uh, as we go through every single day. Anyway, talk to you guys later on. Bye-bye. Thank you again for listening to The Great Decisions, Incredible Lives, Retire with Intention podcast with host John Creekmer. Follow us on social media, visit our website, and join our community of like-minded individuals redefining retirement and living incredible lives. Please leave us a review and share our podcast with others who may benefit. We wish you a future filled with purpose, fulfillment, and the joy of living your incredible life in retirement.